0: And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our strength and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. As we continue to walk through Ecclesiastes this first month of the new year, we need to take a moment to realize that this is not a linear walk through Scripture. We did not start. Start at chapter 1 a few weeks ago. We're not concluding with chapter 12. In fact, you probably noticed that we are only just now, in the third week of this series, talking about what's in chapter 1. We're not going in any sort of chronological order, because if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes or even part of the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that it is not a very orderly book. In fact, for the super organized among us, when you, if you like three bullet points to a, to, a, to a book of the Bible and you want everything to be tied together in a nice little summary at the end, Ecclesiastes is probably not the book you want to read. But my guess is it's a book that you need to read all the same. Because you see, some books of the Bible are more narrative. Think about Genesis, for instance, where you've got in order from beginning with Adam and Eve, the creation of the world, you've got in order the stories of the people who went before us. The same is true for Mark's gospel and for Luke's gospel and for Matthew's gospel where we begin at the beginning of Jesus's life and his earthly ministry and we go through step by step a very good journalistic historical account of what Jesus uh, of what Jesus did in his time here on earth even Paul's letters have a basic subject to them of a basic structure rather of beginning and middle and end the psalms have rhythm and rhyme the proverbs have a meter to them but ecclesiastes is different and the one of the best ways we can uh, approach Ecclesiastes is to realize that it is more like a journal Now a journal for many as most of us know, is a place where you primarily record your thoughts, your reflections, your insights more often than not if you 're writing in a journal. You're not expecting anybody else to read what's in that journal. There's a freedom to it to say on the page what you need to say. It's a stream of consciousness of one thought after another being recorded for some purpose or another. Both of my grandfathers were World War II veterans. And while my paternal grandfather didn't talk much about his time in the war, except maybe towards the end of his life a little bit more so, my maternal grandfather um, talked constantly about his war stories. And even though he was in the middle of a war, he was, he was in active military duty, he was in an area where he was, not, he was not in as much danger as many of the veterans that we appreciate so much were. And as a result of that, he had some really tough stories but he also had some very uplifting and entertaining stories from his uh, from his time abroad and and one and as he got older and he told these stories over and over my family would would frequently say that he that we needed to write these stories down many of you have probably experienced something similar with an elder in your life where they're telling these stories that you want to remember and you think we should write these down well my aunt being the brilliant aunt that she is had this great idea one Christmas to give him a journal for the purpose of writing his stories down, and he did, and he had so much fun doing it, and, he, and as he did so, one of the things that we noticed as we would go back and read what he wrote down was that he repeated himself a lot. Now, some of us may say that was because of age. It may have been because of his, his memory not being quite what it used to be, but we also noticed that the things he repeated, both in the journal and in his oral storytelling, were the things that mattered to him. They were things that not only he remembered, but that he wanted for us to remember because they stood out for a purpose. Now, it is safe for us to assume in the book of Ecclesiastes, that this writer, like the grandfathers and the elders among us, was an older gentleman in the latter part of his life, writing what matters to him, and writing as if he were writing in a journal. Yes, traditionally, this book has been attributed to King Solomon. It's very likely King Solomon wrote this, but for the sake of this uh, this series, I would ask ask you as we are journeying through Ecclesiastes together to not think so much about who historically wrote this book, and instead insert ourselves in the place of this teacher. Chapter 1, verse 1, we hear, these are the words of the teacher. Now, another translation of that word teacher, as Eugene Peterson points out in the message translation, is that we can also call the teacher One who is on a quest. And I love that because this writer who is who's considered wise and insightful has been on a quest throughout his life. And now he's imparting wisdom to us of our own on our own quest and it's a beautiful premise full of promise imagine the first person who ever opened this book who maybe knew the the quest or the one who wrote it and they open it up and they're expecting all of this encouraging uplifting wisdom to give them what they need for the days ahead and instead listen to again to verses two through four of what they hear vanity of vanities Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation comes, a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. Now you may wonder why I read those verses with that particular tone of voice. And the reason I did that is because this book flows from the real Lived experience of a weary human being who who knows it's not going to be long before he stands face to face with God and he's trying to make sense of everything that has gone before him. He's got celebrations but he's also got regrets. He's a very human writer and very likely when he wrote these verses it was with that tone of exasperation, that tone of what uh, what the, 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 the tone of what does all of this mean for me? And we often Forget friends that Scripture, especially these five books that we call wisdom literature. As a refresher, that Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. Um, we have the we in ha- Job. Excuse me, I forgot that fifth one of Job. We have all of these wisdom books because, and we and we primarily need to look at them as prayers. And in prayer is where we can be real with God. In prayer is where we can be blunt with God. And in the midst of being real and honest and blunt with God, we are also changed by God in the place of prayer. We may not always feel it right away, but friends, anytime you take the time to pray, you are changed. Any time you take the time to be with God and even just express what you are feeling and going through... God is working about a change in you. And and we would really benefit from remembering that this quester wrote this down, not so much as lessons for us who would read it centuries later, but this was his cry to God. This was his prayer. And that cry we could basically summarize as this. What's the point of it all? What is the point of it all? Verse 2, the first spoken words of Ecclesiastes have a refrain that we heard a lot today and we hear a lot throughout the book, and that is that all is vanity. The word for vanity can also be translated as breath or as vapor. The basic idea is there, he's saying all is fleeting, everything goes away, just like breath, just like vapor, it's something that fades, something that does not last. And this is not the first time in wisdom literature that we encounter a declaration like this, Psalm 144, which was written by King David, finds David asking, Lord, what are mortals that you are mindful of them? They are like a breath. They are like a breath. We as humans are like a breath. Likewise, Moses, near the end of his life, composed Psalm 90, and he wrote this. Our years come to an end like a sigh. Our years come to an end like a sigh, a breath. There's that image. There's that image once again. And what we see in Ecclesiastes is that he is saying nothing new. His ancestors said it first. Now he has experienced it. And what he's experiencing is that time is short. And if we're not careful, we're going to waste our time on what is vanity, on what fades, and what does not endure. This is a lament for all of the time that we spend chasing after what doesn't matter. God has given us order and rhythm in tandem with creation, but we are often so caught up in what we think matters so much that we miss out on the beauty around us. But the writer of Ecclesiastes took the time to notice that. Look with me again in verses 5 through 7. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. With the rising and the setting of the sun, the directions of the wind, we are being invited into something bigger than ourselves. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are being called, friends, into God's bigger creation and new creation in Christ Jesus. And yet, as we're being called into something so much bigger than ourselves, what do we do? We chase after money. We chase after fame. We run after what we think will satisfy us and end up, as we talked about last week, so dissatisfied because the point of it all, what is the point of it all? The point of it all is not our satisfaction. The point of this one life God has given us on earth is not our personal comfort. The point of it all is to point to him and toward him to point to his water of life that will satisfy, his bread of life that will fill us so we never hunger again, to point to the comfort of the Holy Spirit and as a result experience it for ourselves. One of the most played worship songs of the past three or four years is a song titled Goodness of God. It was written by um, Jen Johnson of Bethel Music. And I think one of the reasons that this song is so beloved and you hear it on radio and it's very singable is the bridge of the song. There's a part of the bridge of the song that sings that says over and over your goodness is running after me. Your goodness is running after me. While we're busy running after and chasing after dreams of our own making, he's running after us with his goodness. And the only way we can experience that goodness is if we change course, and we change course, we turn around and encounter the point of it all. We are called to stop, to surrender, to lay down our life, and to give him everything. And very likely, when we think about running from God, many of us are probably thinking of something like the parable of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. This is, uh, the prodigal son is someone who does literally run away from his father. And when he does so, he blatantly disregards his father. He wastes every good thing given to him. He falls into a life of sin, and he ends up even living among pigs. But there's more than one way to run from God, friends, and we are all susceptible to that. That's not the only one. Remember, the prodigal son had a brother. At the end of the parable that the father goes out to meet that brother who is so angry and he's so upset and he's eaten up with bitterness and unforgiveness towards his brother and that brother seemed to have it all together. But we discover he was chasing after his own idea of perfection. He was pursuing pride. He was trying to put on the best religious face that he could, but he was also running from the same father who was running after him. Both of these sons had Wandered and both had the same father running after them. But that father, no matter how much he loved them, no matter how fast he ran. He made a deliberate choice to choose to wait for them to turn around. God will never overstep our will, brothers and sisters. He will always give us the freedom to choose. And he longs for us. He waits for us. But we have to make that choice to stop and say, this doesn't matter. This is not the point of it all. But you, my Heavenly Father, you are the point of it all. And I want to follow after what what you want for me to do. He waits for us to stop chasing to turn around and to surrender to him and so it is today for us beloved God waits for us to stop striving for our own answers and to turn our questions to him what is the point of it all we ask of each other and let us ask it of God today too the question is looking at the vastness of God's creation in awe of his power and realizing how small he is in the grand scheme of life and death. And the last two verses of the of this passage remind us that, yes, we have to deal with unhappy matters at times, that life, as we know, is fleeting. And that brings to mind another song or a line from another beloved song, an older song from centuries ago called Abide With Me. It is in our hymnal. And in the second verse, there is a line that says, Change and decay in all around I see. Change and decay. And all around, I see. It's easy for us, especially when we're down, downtrodden, especially when we're sad, especially when we're discouraged, to look around and all we see are what the writer of Ecclesiastes calls the unhappy things, the un- all that is unhappy, the change and decay, and all around, I see. But that hymn, good news, that is not the last line of the hymn. Instead, the hymn changes and says, O thou who changest not abide with me. Yes, change is everywhere I see, and there's change and decay everywhere, but you, Lord, do not change, and I pray that you would come and abide with me. The quester in the midst of all of his running, I want to invite you to look for the moment in this passage with me where he stops, where he turns around, and where he surrenders. It can be found at the end of verse, it, it can be found at the beginning, rather, of verse 13, verses 12 and 13. I, the teacher, I, the quester, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. In the midst of all this fleetingness, Lord, in the midst of all of the questions about what's the point of all this vanity, everything seems to be vanity, I'm going to apply my mind, I have applied my mind, to search out and to seek wisdom here under heaven. And I want to invite you today to do something a little different. Last week you had a pop quiz as part of the service. Well, good news, you don't get a pop quiz today as we're going through the scripture. But I do want to ask you to engage with me in a way uh, that we're going to wrap up this time today that I hope will be powerful for you and something you can maybe apply to your own study of scripture if you're not already doing so. We're going to take the beginning of verse 13 there. And turn it into a prayer. And just like we do at the children's moments, I'm going to ask you to repeat that prayer after me. And we'll get a copy of that to you as well on social media and in the newsletter. Um, But it's just taking this prayer and turning it back to God. Turning it back to him and saying, Lord, I know that all is vanity. So I want to turn around and focus my attention on who matters. So I invite you to repeat these words after me. Again, they're based on the beginning of verse 13. Source of all wisdom. Source of all wisdom. I apply my mind to seek and to search out your wisdom here under heaven. Let's do that again, friends. Source of all wisdom. I apply my mind to seek and to search out your wisdom Here under heaven. heaven. Let's do it one more time, friends. Source of all wisdom. wisdom. I apply my mind. mind. To seek and to search out. out. Your wisdom. wisdom. Here Here under heaven. May it be so to the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed three in one. Amen.